everyone. Welcome to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Siwon Chong. Hey everyone, I hope everyone is doing okay. These are really sad and frustrating times with the recent deaths of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, and the many others that did not get the coverage they deserved. And then there are all the Beckys and Karens out in the world perpetuating white supremacy at Central Park and beyond. I feel like this is a time for white allies to speak up and we're being neutral as being part of the problem. The prioritization of the destruction of property over black lives is part of the problem. Enforcing the celebration of our differences onto the shoulders of a select few is part of the problem. I just hope everyone, including myself, can find it in our hearts to have empathy for the situation and create meaningful change. From donating to organizations working to change the situation to joining those very organizations. I've added links in the show notes and on the website to a few resources. Of course, these recent events are simply a few in what is a long history of racist actions in a racist country that refuses to look at itself clearly. There's a time to honor those lost lives, but there's also a need to go past that and call out all the complacency. I'm not saying this to make it about this podcast, and I don't even pretend that my podcast is helping in any real meaningful way. I'm often at a loss for words at the immensity of the problems we face. In these moments, I try to just keep taking one step at a time in hopes it is in the right direction. Anyway, for today, I'm speaking with Devin Kenny an interdisciplinary artist, writer, musician, and independent curator. Devin takes an experimental, multidisciplinary approach to analyzing the contemporary Black experience, exploring surveillance, abuses of institutional power, and gentrification. Devin balances abstract concepts with material traces of once subcultural but now quite ubiquitous forms of expression, such as manga, hip-hop, and internet memes. Devin got his BFA from Cooper Union and received his MFA from the New Genres Department at UCLA. Devin is also an alum of the Whitney Independent Study Program and the MFAH Core Program Houston. I first met Devin while I was in Berlin and Devin Skyped in for a studio visit. We have continued our conversations online since then and I had the chance to have Devin on this podcast recently. We chat about envisioning ourselves in new ways, thinking about power dynamics through subcultures, and how subcultures can help guide one through the internet. As always, stay safe, stay healthy, and I hope you enjoy this. Um, I was thinking, have you played Mortal Kombat 2? I think I played Ult- Mortal Kombat 3 and Ultimate Mortal Kombat. And then I probably like at one point picked up Mortal Kombat 2. Why? Mortal There's Kombat a- 2 is the one with uh, Reptile. I think that's when Reptile first came, right? Yes. He was like yes. that secret character. Yeah, I think Smoke also is a secret character in that. Mm-hmm. But uh, well, I was thinking about the fatalities. <laughs> okay. And there's all these different kinds of fatalities. Yeah, yeah. But one of the fatalities is uh-huh. friendship. And I was like, oh, that's what we have. <laughs> wait so does that does that mean that one person was about to kill the other person and then decided to change into a friendship i'm not i'm not sure <laughs> Is that what i always mean? thought of it as just like a different kind of uh stylistic execution uh, uh okay there's another one where they turn into a baby yeah called bab- babalities but friendship was always the best i think there's also one there they uh turn into an animal Sometimes, oh. ran. yes, animalities. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So, how are you doing? I'm okay. Yeah, ups and downs, but largely, yeah, I guess okay. No health issues, so that's good. That's that's probably really good right now. 
Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I just wanted to start off with where did you grow up? Uh, how did art enter your life? Sort of background bio. Sure. Um, hmm. Well, I was born on the south side of Chicago, and then I lived there for the first couple years. And then I moved with my mother to West Hollywood. I lived there for like maybe a year or something. And then I moved back to Chicago. And then unfortunately, my mother passed away. And then I lived with my sister, my like half sister. How old were you at this point? I was five. Okay, wow. And um, then I moved with my sister who was in the military. And we went to Silver Spring, Maryland and Jacksonville, North Carolina. And I stayed there a few years. And then I came back to the south side of Chicago where I lived with my grandmother. And I was there basically from, yeah, from that point until I was like 18 or so. Yeah. And then I moved to New York and... You went there for Cooper Union, right? Yeah. How was that? It was it was great. It yeah. was incredibly... Um, rigorous and very peculiar i guess by comparison to like certain ways that people describe going to art school yeah it was pretty distinctive partially because it's like a really small school like there was maybe 65 people in my graduating class but so it's like that combined with the fact that it's three different disciplines in the school there's art there's architecture and there's engineering right at the time i was there it was tuition free and it was in the east village uh new york so yeah which had been a all sorts of subcultures uh, including punk and industrial hip-hop no wave (laughs) did you did you kind of travel between different subcultures yeah, I guess you could say that. I, I mean, I, I don't know if I would say between. I think it would be like all simultaneous because <laughs> I was largely into like hip hop subculture doing, you know, graffiti and breaking and MCing and stuff like that. Oh, how long did you break? Oof, maybe 10 years. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I, I, breaked, I breaked for a few years in college. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. What are you doing like power moves and stuff? No. Well, what I kind of what kind of breaking were you into? I mean, I got, I was doing it during two thousand four to two thousand eight. Nice, true school. And that's sort of like when the Koreans start, started exploding and doing all the power moves and up the game, and the rest of the world was playing catch up. <laughs> now, now, now it's pretty fair, I think. I mean, I haven't really paid attention most recently, but I think the furthest I got in terms of power moves was sort of uh, windmills and um, a few flares. Yeah. Some basic nice. foundation the stuff. Flares. It seemed like such a, a grail, such a like holy grail type move. Of flares, yeah. Well, <laughs> what, what about you? Did you ever get any power moves? No. No? Okay. I was just doing like windmills and, and turtles and hand yeah. glides and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Swipes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I never got but, swipes. I never got swipes down, but yeah. The Also, I wanted to say, yeah, I wanted to give like a major rest in peace to Jimmy Webb, who is basically like the dude from um, Trash and Vaudeville, which was a a store like a I don't know alternative. It was mostly punk. It's like punk and goth and some glam rock vibes. Uh, this clothing store in the East Village, which was like a really important you know place for many punks to like kind of come to be. And, and feel like actualized. Is that where you sort of became actualized? No, no. very different. Uh, I was like, <laughs> since I was in, in Chicago, yeah. like, yeah, there's a, there's a few different scenes. And my friends were in, you know, various like punk scenes in West Rogers Park, Rogers Park, uh, and some other homies in, on the South Side. Um, there's a really strong Chicano punk community yeah those are pretty much the ones that i would like intersect through mm-hmm. and also some of the like early like um acropunk stuff too which most of those folks who i met either yeah primarily online just through like you know emails or message boards and stuff like that yeah 
And then so after Cooper Union, did you stick around New York for a bit? Because you went to, I know you got, you went to UCLA after. Like I moved to New York in 05. It's 2020 now. Uh I lived in LA for two years and I've lived in Houston for two, maybe coming up on two and a half, three years. Which you did did the core program through, right? Yeah. So it's been, other than that, it's been, so I guess 10 or 11 years non-consecutively in New York. Yeah. And five years in other zones. Yeah. You've hit basically every most major uh, coasts and cities in the U.S., right? Chicago, Houston, New York, L.A.? Yeah, all four of the biggest cities. Yep. And then what made you decide to go back to grad school? I, I it was really like I yeah, I don't know, I was just really enthusiastic about continuing my like art pursuits. Yeah. But I was too young, so I couldn't really apply for a lot of grants that I wanted to apply for because I was like, you know, a lot of times you have to be either have a master's degree uh-huh. or they're like, oh, we want people to be like 25 or 26 and over. So I was, I was neither of those things. But I, for the first like year, I wasn't really thinking about, I mean, I was sort of thinking about it. It was in the back of my head, but I wasn't really like planning on it. I wasn't dead set on going to graduate school. Um, I, this was also during a time when there was a lot of really great alternative programs that were free non-degree granting programs, but nonetheless, like yeah. there was one called Trade School that Caroline Willard and some others kicked off. There was the Bruce High Quality Foundation University, which had at that time, it was like a project that was funded by like Creative Time. It's still there, but, right? Bruce High Quality. No, no. The, the, the organization is still there, yeah. But the, but the university is no longer. Correct. Okay. There was a lot of different... It was like a big time where, well, A, the whole like economy had, it was a major recession in 08, 09. And the economy was like not in the greatest zone. So people were like, oh, let's figure out alternative pathways, like alternative means to like build uh, artistic and intellectual community outside of the debt model, which I think is really important and, and remains an important problem to try to address. So, And so what was the work that you were doing? Performance. Yeah. Sculpture, some paintings. So you were always interdisciplinary. Yes. I partially went to graduate school because there was a department called new genres. Yeah. uh, Which seemed like I was like, okay, well, am I really interdisciplinary? (laughs) (laughs) Or, like, am I really into these multiple approaches? And if not, this will like kind of put me to the this test. Is, this, will, this will clarify. Yes. Yeah. So that's how I justified it to myself. Also, it, it you know, great faculty is a completely different, you know, art world in Los Angeles than in New York. How would you describe it? Um, more, more DIY Spaces, more artist-run spaces that can last for longer. Kind of generally, like, more bang for your buck in terms of, like, rent to space. But that's changing, I think, right? Yes, that's been changing for a long time now. It's been changing probably once I left. You know, we were there in L.A. at the same time. Oh, really? Yeah, I was there from 2011 to 2013. I started grad school in 2013, so I left actually July, July 5th of 2013. Yeah, yeah, we were like passing ships, yeah, because that's I was there from uh, 2011 to 2013. Yeah, I was really into the thing I was most into was the grocery stores. Yes, yes. I mean, obviously, outside of art, I'm not dissing art. Obviously, like there's so much badass art stuff happening in Los <laughs> Angeles. It's just out of control. But I was super into the grocery stores. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Ralph's, what I, the hell? I know, 24-7, 24-7, like high-quality, relatively cheap grocery stores. Hell yeah. Yeah. I think it was on Sepulveda, but just like going to like, I don't know, Japanese supermarkets. Yeah. And just like getting amazing, tasty things 
or very inexpensive inebriants uh, <laughs> while I can feel fancy. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It was just really. Where'd you live in LA? I lived in Culver City. Oh, okay. So right by the, like, right by the Just studios. on the edge of West LA. Yeah, basically. Yep. Like down the street from the Museum of Jurassic Technology. Yeah. Uh-huh. India Sweets and Spices. Yeah. All that. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm going to sort of go back. I was curious, were you, were you always doing art growing up? Yes. So you knew you wanted to be an artist? <laughs> no. No? I didn't know I wanted to be an artist. When I was growing up, I wanted to be a comic book artist. Okay. I wanted to be a graphic artist like, and make video games. Graphic artist, I had a couple... like manga graphic artist or like no, Watchmen? I didn't even know. That's like, um, I had... A cousin and her husband was a graphic artist, and my mom had a boyfriend or friend who was a graphic artist, and I was really into comics, so I was interested in like comics and graphic design, graphic art, I guess. Okay. More graphic art, more more so. Okay. I would say. So yeah. I guess that maybe they would call that illustration. Okay. Nowadays. Yeah. Oh, but that's what I wanted to do, and then I was very quickly disillusioned. No, no, I'm just kidding. It wasn't quick. It was a slow end. I mean, is uh, art, is art any less disillusional when you enter? I feel like the deeper <laughs> you get in art, the more you're like, ah, oh, fuck. This, this is true, but it's it's different, though. I think, like, for for example, I was in, in high school, and, and I think the first show that I can remember being in, the first, like, real art show I was in, shout out to Burt Stabler, it was called something Student of the unholy hollows okay. uh hours hours to make seconds to read okay and i was super hyped on it because he like we were just chatting about the show and it was a comic book related show it was a comic book show but it was a art show so like people would like put up panels or you know the the pages because it's like fairly large pages that people draw on and then they get scanned and then digitally inked or or inked with a pen or whatever so I was really into trying to make my own mini comics. Uh-huh. So there, there was a huge like comics with an X and zine community in in Chicago. Um, what is comics with an X? Comics with an X. <laughs> it's like I think starting in the 60s, maybe. But it's like kind of underground comics. OK. Like All comics right. that like are from independent publishers. I see. Yeah. Um, I guess like R. Crumb would mm-hmm. be in that camp. The Hernandez brothers, like all that, you know, and 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 yeah, Jessica Abel, lots of folks. But yeah, huge comic community in in Chicago. I don't know Adrian. I actually don't know how to pronounce his last name. Tomin, maybe Tomine. Adrian Tomin and Chris Ware. I know Chris Ware. And, yeah, Jimmy Corrigan. Uh, yeah, smartest boy, mm-hmm. which I I thought was maybe like, given that he was in Chicago, I mean, it's just a common last name, but I really liked like the Jimmy Corrigan, Billy Corgan thing. And I, at some points I was like, is this like a, is this whole comic like a subtle diss to, to Billy Corgan of Smashing Pumpkins? Perhaps? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking Billy Corgan, Billy Corgan, yeah, damn. Billy Corrigan. Is he is yeah. Billy Corrigan Bill- from Chicago? Yes. Okay. All right. But he's he's kind of infamous for having like he's infamous for something else now. Now? Time, well, he, he's a, he's a diva. That's that's what I know about him. Yeah, he's like infamous for that, uh, being very opinionated about certain things. Um, but his like politics are pretty funky. I don't know. He's been on Infowars quite a few times. And- oh, okay. <laughs> okay. And I, when I say funky, I don't mean in in the good way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think I don't think any adjective next to Infowars is generally a good adjective. <laughs> he's like he's like Axel Axel Rose. Okay. Billy yeah. Corgan is like Axel Rose, but thinks he's Bowie. Okay. <laughs> if that makes sense. If if you could that's, like have an Axel Rose who like believed he was Bowie, like that's the kind of music that. That's, like that's a good title for uh, for an art piece or, or a exhibition. <laughs> <laughs> they have like kind of similar like grading like voices, yeah, and yeah, yeah. similar yeah. bad politics, I think. But it's catchy, yo. 
today is the greatest. <laughs> I mean, it's, they, they, they exist in a very specific time. And uh, I think now it's just like nostalgic every time you hear Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. So you're really nostalgic. Yeah, like, wow. Can you imagine an America that believed it had a future? <laughs> and then people <laughs> like, you know, sarcastically or bitterly fighting back uh, against that. You know? Yeah. Uh, that feels like grunge. Grunge to me is a lot of that. Not that his music is grunge, but there's like, yeah. The, re- the rebel quality to it. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so yeah, LA and then how after LA, where'd you go? Did you stick around in LA? I mean you you had the you had the Made in LA show, which was I think Yeah. That was, that was probably really crazy right out of grad school, right? Getting yes. part of Made in LA. That was really crazy. Really, really crazy. I was watching um, your I, I was before this, I was watching your 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 talk on it. Oh. Yeah. In the in the cloud on the ground. In the cloud on the ground, yeah. Yeah, that was like um one of the like early performance essay sort yeah. of thing. That yeah. one was a little bit more leaning into like a lecture or like artist talk, but it had a lot of the it had all the components pretty much, or m- most of the components. Yeah. And so, how did you end up in that show? Um, you slept with the right person. <laughs> no, I had like a studio visit with um, Michael Ned Holty and Connie Butler. They saw my senior show or graduate thesis exhibition. Yeah. <laughs> um, Culmination of all your hard work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which it was cool also because it was in kind of larger like gallery, but I was super hyped because I was showing, I was sharing the space with uh, Gerard and Kelly and Aliyah Marilyn Brown and homie dylan mira so it was like super dope kind of mix of a group show and solo show mm. like the space is really big is that the white gallery the, okay this is your thesis yeah the okay. thesis show which i was calling being there their being okay and i like wrote this this text which was about the kind of like i don't know psychic ramifications of the transition from web 1.0 to web 2.0 and yeah, a lot of the art I was doing was informed by that, if not responding to that directly. So, but anyway, some people like Michael Nedholty came and saw that show, and then we I moved to New York because I was doing the ISP. Uh huh. And we had like a studio visit, and then yeah, and then made this whole big show thing. How was how was the ISP? It was cool. Yeah, it's great. It's yeah. Like a, it's like a, I don't know. It's like a, a book club, <laughs> except you have a studio. Yeah. But the people are fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, shout out everybody. You know, shout out Ron Clark. I met a lot of really great people when I was when I was there. And then from the Whitney, where'd you go from the Whitney? Uh, while I was while I was there, I was working as a shop tech at Parsons. Okay. And I just continued continued doing that. And also doing um, visiting critic stuff in different places. Patting um, that resume. <laughs> no, I actually like talking to people about their <laughs> process. I, I needed a job. <laughs> so it's like, yo, yeah. I, this is something that I'm really passionate about, supporting people that are passionate about art. Yeah. So, yeah, I did a lot of like visiting critic stuff at different schools and was also a shop tech and then also got a chance to teach nice um, uh adjunct vibes at parsons oh nice uh, and yeah during that time i was i was like doing visiting critic at yale and uh, sva a couple times hunter uh yeah yeah the whole, you're doing the whole circuit the whole new york circuit yeah, any place I can I can reach within four hours on the train. Yeah, <laughs> was it stressful? Yes. Yeah, I've heard. And yeah, so I mean, I guess I was thinking about your work and also how it intersects with technology. I was looking at this. Was funny is because I was looking at your talk in at the Hammer Museum, 
And it was interesting because you talked a lot about the internet, but then it's funny when I look at your work, I see more of a DIY aesthetic and the internet yeah. is like part of it is like part of it in the way that it's hard to escape it now. I never saw his internet art, but then the entire discussion revolved around all these people talking about philosophical questions about the internet and states of being around the internet. And I'm curious, like how, how you view technology in relationship to your art. Yeah. I mean, I think that is, that is something I'm interested in and it's something that I will likely continue to pursue in various ways. I mean, I grew up looking at a lot of internet art and participating in internet communities. Um, that was my like intro to a lot of subcultural stuff or the way that I could like bolster my knowledge and, and exposure to those things. Like, I mean, all the stuff that I'm, that I was into are now all like mainstream type things. So it feels weird to, but yeah, like manga and anime and, you know, do you still read, do you still read manga or watch anime? No, no, no. Okay. No, never, never. No, no, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> I, I do, I do occasionally. Yeah. yeah. But I, it's a weird thing. Cause I kind of dropped off of it 2001 or something. Uh huh. And talking with my friends, they're like super hardcore. They're like, yeah, that was kind of the, the end of good anime for a while. And then like 10 years later or so, like things started to like get good again. So yeah. I don't know, but there's like, there's like a bajillion. It's kind of absurd. How much, yeah, like, how much is being like produced? Saying, yeah. It's like, oh yeah, I don't look at films. What do you mean? It's like, it's like saying that. Cause like anime is not a genre. There's like, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's animation. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's like a technique. It's like a mode. There's multiple like genres within it, but yeah. it's like talking about it as, you know, it's like, oh, I don't read novels or something. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like some people don't read novels, I, I suppose. There's but, a lot. There's, there's a lot of them. But, <laughs> but it's like, yeah, it's it feels like kind of shutting things down in a not generous way. Yeah. But anyway, I got to all that stuff through like friends who had like fan subs and yeah. modded out playstations and whatever, all that stuff but also online. So the online and the meat space stuff were like always, you know, contiguous for me. So I don't, I, I never, although I didn't really like make a ton of quote unquote internet art because the internet was a way for me to gain access to different ways of thinking and different tools I, it's been on my mind as a result of that. Like before it was a, uh, embedded in our life. Exactly. Yeah. I've been, I've just been working on like, you know, etchings and watercolors <laughs> about radio. You know what I'm saying? It's like that. It's like somebody, somebody that like, like 19th century working on like weird puppet shows about the radio. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Gorilla, Gorilla, uh, radio waves just popping up. Yeah, shout out Marconi. Um, yeah. So. And so, so like, how do you navigate that now that it's the internet is everywhere, no longer this sort of subculture? Well, yeah, I'm, I was never really mining the subculture of the internet for my work per se, mm. but I would reflect on it. Um, in the same way that I would reflect on other subcultural stuff that I would pull from hip hop or that I would pull from punk or um, graffiti or whatever. So I think that is like, that has continued, but I think now I'm starting, well, I have been trying to think more about the like social and political implications of that space itself and all of the like, I don't know, interactions, exchange, commerce, et cetera, that, you know, develop in that space. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to, to like get away from that, especially on the internet with all the money and power and yeah. inf uh, information that's happening through it. Yes. I mean, those are things that made me interested in skateboarding, made me interested in graffiti, made mm -hmm. me interested in hip hop and DIY, like making your own zines, making your own comics, Yeah, you know, 
spray painting stencils on your clothes. Like, so those kind of relationships of power are things that kind of drew me to particular subcultures and that an interest in that helps guide me through the internet. Mm. That makes sense. Cause like the internet is a lot of that as well, just in a different form. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are there any, are there any, um, platforms that you stay away from? Pinterest. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's basically it. <laughs> what, about, what, what about TikTok? Um, wow. Amy, you about to call me out here. Uh, yeah, I guess I kind of stay away from that too, but not really. I, <laughs> I'm, not really? I have a TikTok. Oh yeah. I'm okay. on TikTok. Yeah. I very rarely look at it, mm. but I think I might start exploring it more. Yeah. I guess I, I just, you know, there was Vine. Yeah, there was I know. Vine. Mm -hmm. There was Musical.ly and there was, you know, like all these other, all these other things. Got swallowed um, up by Instagram and. Yeah. So to me, I don't also like, there's some, there's some things that I see on there and it just makes me sad actually. On TikTok? When I see like, yeah. What makes you like, sad on TikTok? I don't know. Seeing like B-list celebrities doing viral dance crazes and not looking like they're having fun. Like, <laughs> I see that and I'm like, okay, this feels like their PR manager told them that they need to get on TikTok to like boost their relevance or something. And it hurts me to see it because I'm just like, I just wanted you to be on a pedestal. You made those two really good movies in the 90s and I just want you to be at peace and like not wreck that vision I have of you. <laughs> so yeah, seeing that bums me out. Mm. Um, no, be the reason I asked about the TikTok is just sort of like thinking about like it's hard to keep up with all these new the new platforms, and I think it kind of ties back to my question about technology and how what when I look at your work, I see less of it, and to me that speaks to just like you said, you use it as a way to as a way to I guess help navigate topics you're interested in, but not so much being about the work or being about the internet specifically itself, yeah. you know. And so I was just curious, like, you know, what would happen if all of a sudden, like, you know, things like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter were to not disappear, but fall to the wayside to like new things as like, I'm assuming TikTok is a representation. I see it as like maybe me getting old because I have no interest in entering TikTok, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, and then how's that relate my relationship to the internet change because of that? And I'm curious how you, how you view TikTok in those, in that, in that sort of light. Wow. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's now, I mean, not now, but for the past 10, 10 years or so, 13 years since the internet has become, or since the web has become this kind of mainstream social space and commerce space. I think now the challenge that, I mean, I think all people should uh, take up, but especially artists and thinkers and scientists as well should take up is like, well, maybe not scientists as much because they probably already have a lot of stuff that's, you know, but anyway, is, <laughs> is to, think about is the, to, uh, the universe. No, no, not thinking about the universe. I'm just like, I feel like scientists are probably online reading journals and stuff uh, like that much more than other demographics yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I think what I was trying to say is like, I think our challenge is to try to look at this telecommunications space as something greater than a place to buy stuff and a place to be entertained and temporarily satiated. Like try to look, I think our challenge is to try to find the internet that's outside of, you know, the big companies whose names I will not mention. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's a big challenge. And it I think is. it would be challenge how, how do you how do you seek that out yo every day is a winding road all right all right i was thinking about when you're like um <laughs> uh talking about tiktok i was thinking about minor threat i can't keep up i can't keep up i'm out of step with huh. the world mm -hmm. and there's some kind of like in that particular you know hardcore song 
which was made like obviously like long before the, the internet was really, you know, happening. There's a certain kind of, I don't know, orientation in that, which for them was a kind of resistance to, you know, yeah, mainstream ways of, of socializing or mainstream culture in, in many, in many regards. Uh And I think though one could take that and try to apply it to the current state and go into like a Luddite (laughs) type zone, neo Luddite zone. I think there's other ways where you could take that same kind of, okay, there's something about these particular platforms that alienate me or that, um, make me feel uncomfortable or make me feel less than, and you can investigate that. You can challenge that. And you can also find spaces that are outside of those. So, I mean, I think some of the stuff that people are doing, like in terms of different, I don't know, RSS feeds and mm-hmm. different like uh, platforms like Arena and just other other ways of interaction which are not, you know, aligned with... Uh, you know, corporate ethos, like that can be a really interesting thing. And I think it's, it's a really important thing too. Like, I feel like that's, that should be a thing that maybe governments are, are protecting. Governments should maybe be protecting spaces that are like non-commercial and for exchanging information and culture and stuff like that. But, you know, I don't know. I'm not in Canada, so I can't, I can't really, I can only dream. Is is Canada doing that? (laughs) It, are they? I don't know. Are they? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I know Germans are all about privacy in a weird sort of way. Yeah. I think certain states are interested in, yeah, a lot, the, the, the notion of like cybersecurity as like a right of the citizenry yeah. and like privacy kinds of things, which it's not so, to me, it's like not so much about privacy, but it's more about like not being instrumentalized. Hmm. And like, if you're constantly instrumentalized, I think that changes the way that you, you know, view yourself and the way that you interact with others as well. Yeah. And so how do you, how do you prevent yourself? How do you constantly think about preventing instrumentalization by partaking in all these, all these social media platforms? I don't do them at the same time. I do like, I try to use like non-dominant search engines and stuff like that Uh, to try to like shake up or like temporarily like puncture the filter bubble mm-hmm. um but you ever feel like you're doing like, this in a void or in, in, a, in a sort of yeah the powers that be want you to feel helpless yeah i know that, that there's no outside but do you actually believe that there's um hope in there i'm just curious i don't know because oh, yeah, we because we because the reason the the viewpoint i'm taking is also just sort of like i'm thinking since we had talked about that eflux article about sort of how entwined the uh, internet is with our privacy and you know everyone was sort of upset about like this this idea of like a social ranking that China has and like how easy it is actually if most governments wanted to they could just do it they just have all the information they just haven't done it you know but all the information is out there on us anyway yeah I guess my interest is not fighting for invisibility my interest is fighting for us to be able to envision ourselves in new ways and like you can envision yourself in one way when you're thinking of yourself as a as a consumer or even like a producer of things to be consumed. But you can think of yourself in other ways when there's other, you know, when you have other uh, approaches to the world. And I would hope that the Internet could help give access to some of those other ways of thinking. Yeah. And then how does that then tie back into your the art objects that you make or the performances that you do? I mean, that's just stuff that I'm like thinking about as a person. Yeah. Like, and as, so it's, it's, yeah, I guess like it's an influence. Would you say for you is, is art life for you? Is life art? Hmm. I ask that because when I see your work, like the way that it intertwines with your internet persona, the way it intertwines with your performances, the way that it intertwines with also the objects that you pick. Uh, in terms of for your yeah. art, right? Like it's very, it's found objects, but also found objects that's clearly from Devin Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I was like, oh, like when I see some of your objects, I'm like, okay, like Devin probably got that from his room 
and he was like, oh, there's something about this object I like, or it had a specific meaning or, or just sort of like, um, or typical, like just art decision-making, which is like, oh, I like this object. It's just going to go in a show. Yeah. That's, it's interesting that you say that because I guess that's pretty accurate. Um, <laughs> like, but there was another thing where I was really fascinated by making new objects that look like found objects, um, partially because there's a, there's a certain kind of, I don't know, mystique or not mystique, but a certain kind of uh, aura around particular materials, you know, particular <laughs> objects yeah, uh-huh. that when I don't know that like artists and also like audience people sometimes look at things and it has, we start to get like a kind of anthropological type of thing. It's like, ah, Coke can, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and I like to kind of like subvert that. It's like, Oh, what if I like made something that looked like it belonged can. somewhere? Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. But uh, to, to what you're saying, yes, a lot of the objects that I choose they do have a, yeah, biographical importance to me or like some kind of, or like a metaphorical biographical importance more than attempting to grab an object for its purely, quote unquote, purely formal Aesthetical characteristics. qualities, yeah. I don't know if that is really possible. Um, some people think so. Except through, through an act of extreme violence. You can, you can what, like, what do you mean? well, it's like, oh, I have this thing and I like the way it looks. Yeah. And then I'm going to show you this thing that I like the way it looks. And then someone asks you about it and you're like, oh yeah, I don't know. I just like the way it looks. It's like, <laughs> did you try to like research it? Did you ask around about what it is or where it came from or, mm-hmm. you know, what its use was? And it's like, no, it's like, <laughs> why not? It's like, oh because I'm invested in this idea that none of those things matter. Yeah. It's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you for that answer. You know, yeah. but that's never how it goes. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I mean when I say extreme violence. Okay. Yeah. I see. Especially with the internet. I think that's, that's where I get to be a fogey. Like that's where I get to be in like what do you mean? old zone where I'm like, yo, there's the internet. You can look stuff up so easily. You don't even have to go to a room. You don't even have to go to a big building with a bunch of stuff and deal with experts who have like, you know, different approaches to material than you might. You literally have it like in your pocket or in front of you or within relatively easy access. Um, So, yeah, I have I'm like, yo, I don't know how where this complacency is coming from, except for maybe like exhaustion. But I don't know. I feel like that's. A bad excuse. Should, yeah, I think it's a bad excuse. Yeah. It's a, something we should like fight against. Yeah. Uh, when I was going through your website, um, I don't know if this was purposeful or not, but... www.devinkinney.info. Is that yeah. the website you're referring to? Yeah. Dev- or my bank or SoundCloud or what? devinkinney.info. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. The thing that I noticed is, at least when I look at your website, sometimes I don't know what I'm looking at. I know it is in a gallery. I know that it's an object. But otherwise, I don't have too much to go on. And then I think that also about your your Instagram, like, you you know, you, you post these sort of, I mean, sort of like in vogue right now for everyone to like be posting things that seem to be, um, have meaning, but it's not quite clear what that meaning is. And everyone is copying off of me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. like the little Richard of, of cryptic Instagram posts. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, it's mainstream when like people like Balenciaga is doing it, right? Yeah. But yeah, I was curious, like, is is that purposeful? Because you do that also on your own website, and also the other thing was like all your all your works are not in chronological order, and is that a sort of like a resistance? Yeah. Is that a resistance to easy access? Easy? Yeah, I think I'm just selecting the best, you know, entry points that I can, or like interesting entry points for certain things are also because I know that I can't reproduce the work online digitally. It's like you get a different experience online than you do of being in a room with it. than you do of someone describing it to you, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and I think that's fine. I think that's great. Actually. I think it's a good thing when we can, acknowledge the specific, you know, 
characteristics of the different communication mediums we're using, whether that be time, space, you know, recording, whatever, you know? So that's, that's that. I mean, the other thing is, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a documentation type thing. Sometimes I try to like give as much about the work as possible. Other times I just give some things that I think are interesting. Other times I just give some like footholds or handholds. Yeah. Trying to use like some kind of bouldering uh, <laughs> rock climbing reference. Um, Do you rock climb? But uh, no, okay, I'm okay. thinking about transitioning from skating into rock climbing though. <laughs> <laughs> I just because it, it's it seems like an equally it's Absurd like an equally activity. silly activity yeah. that you can also like do alone yeah. and like there's no it's not a sport you know what I mean it's like skateboarding an activity. Not a, skateboarding is a sport right you it's don't think so not a sport. okay okay no. you can treat it as a sport yeah I mean but I guess if I'm gonna say skateboarding is not a sport I guess I should also say like figure skating is not a sport. I would say it's like in, it's like an athletic activity. It's an athletic artistic activity. All right. <laughs> uh, like dance or something. Is like dance a sport? But you can have a b-boy competition. But at the end of the day, it's like you're, I'm argue, like this is one style versus this is another style. There's certain things that are more technically difficult, but yeah. it's like you see what I'm saying. So I see versus yeah, yeah. versus like something that's very measurable, like how long it takes you to get from point A to point B. Yeah. How many points did you score by shooting this ball into this area? Like those are the things that are like datable and measurable. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of thinking about transitioning to into rock climbing, but I still love skating and I'm and I'm still skating around. So yeah. But oh, the the other thing you you asked about the chronology. Yeah. Um, I'm just not. I'm not super interested in showing my work in chronological order because I think that produces a, uh, a kind of false sense of progress or something like a linear kind of, you know, mm-hmm. whereas I think there's just different ways I was exploring particular topics at different times of my life. Yeah. But I don't want it to be like a led to B led to C led to D because it's more of a, you know, things fan out or kind of expand like, like a spores web. or something or a web. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. More than a line. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then how are they organized? Is there an organization to it or? They're, they're organized by me. I put up stuff that I feel like I should put up eventually. Okay. That makes sense. Like I recently put up a ton of stuff, like a ton of posts, which were works from the last like eight years or something like that. I also just like make a lot of stuff and I would prefer to just continue to make things and not worry so much about documenting it over online. Yes. Or not even so much worry about documenting, but it's more like producing an archive or a presentation of your work is a different mindset than working within a particular piece. Yeah. Like working within the confines you know, one video, one song, one painting, one sculpture, one photo series, whatever, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have noticed that because usually I don't tend to look at the dates, but I did recognize the, your car, the thing that you did for um, the sculpture center and it was like place middle. And I yeah. was like, I'm pretty sure that was made last <laughs> January. And then I started clicking. Yes. Yeah. The dates are there, but it is not Maybe, yeah, that might be a thing. Maybe I could create a little button so people could like arrange the things by date. Maybe that would make people happy. <laughs> I mean, I don't really, I, I, per, I personally don't care. I mean, I, I do agree like this idea of like progress, this sort of, this sort of false sense of progress. I mean, it's just like semantics. I like to think of it as like maybe not so much progress, but like how things change, right? And change isn't necessarily like a forward moving progress, but just things are constantly changing. Yes. Right. But you can. And, yes. and and that sense, I do think is interesting to see for me, like when I look at an artist, when I look at it from chronological order, I'm like, OK, I can kind of see how things are shifting and how the thought process is changing. And to me, that's interesting. Yes. <laughs> I no, I don't disagree. I think that is true. But I think you can get to that without chronology. Like you could try to organize things by a particular medium or something. It's like, oh, yeah, you know. 
Um, but you, sorry, I cut you off. You you were asking a question about the um the car work or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was curious if you could. See, I think that was like probably the last piece you did before all shit went to hell. <laughs> Uh, because yeah. I only saw yeah. I only saw the pictures from Instagram, and then there's not much of a exact description on your website. So <laughs> <laughs> I gave as much on the website as I did for the streets. Oh, uh, okay. Like, so, there's no uh, placard on the street. Uh, so okay. you know what I mean? Yeah. But um, yeah, that was a collaboration between myself and my good friend Andrea Solstad, and. It came out of a like a lot of different conversations we had, but I initially had thought about uh, parking a vehicle on the street um, in front of Sculpture Center because there are a lot of signs that said no parking. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that there were vehicles that were parked there, but they had a they all had a very particular kind of look. Uh, they were like kind of black. I don't know, like maximas or altimas or mm-hmm. something like that and they were parked near a trailer um which i presumed was like the foreman's trailer for a condo that was being repaired or built nearby um so i was like okay so it's no parking for anyone except for these people that are working on the building and destroying new york now <laughs> um so i was thinking like okay so they exist within a certain kind of gray area loophole or type zone. I'm like, are there other ways in which that could be done? Then I was like, oh, well, what if it wasn't a car? What if it was a sculpture that like used to be a car, you know? And then I'd started thinking about, I don't know, the New York before I got there, like in the 90s, 80s, 70s, where you might, or it still exists to some extent, but a much less extent where there would be like cars, just like abandoned cars on the side of the road, like on the street, you know, you're just walking down the street and here's like a car that's been there for like years. And then also thinking about the kind of disappearance of junkyards and, you know, scrapyards, shout out to scrapyard and you know, different like chop shops and like auto repair places. Like there were several of those. I was living in in Bushwick for the majority of my time. I lived in East New York at first and then I moved to Bushwick. Right, where all the other artists are, right? Yeah, they weren't at the time. (laughs) At the time, like most everybody that I knew were, they were living in like Williamsburg, East Williamsburg or downtown. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So people were like scared to like come visit. <laughs> They're like, oh, you're past the blah, blah, blah. What? Is there anything over there? It's like, what the fuck? Of course there's people been here for like, ah. But then I also didn't want to tell them that I recognized. And then I started seeing more and more people. And then I started seeing friends. And then I started seeing people who were like enemies. And then I was like, fuck, it's over. It's over. No, but I was thinking about those, you know, how, um, in, in Bushwick, there had been like like chop shops and auto repair spots. And uh, a lot of those have been like, you know, they shut down. And now it's like a parking lot with a bunch of like hipster fusion, like food trucks and yep. different stuff like that. Rick-a-brac. So we're kind of like reflecting on that. And it's parked within uh, the, the, the work is in Long Island City, Queens, mm-hmm. which also has a lot of um, that kind of industrial type history along with its, you know, like middle class families living there. So was it hard to designate this X car as an art object and tell the police or whoever needs to be told or was it just left there? Yes, it was very difficult to do that. (laughs) There was like several different um, city organizations that I and Andrea uh, got in touch with and basically we got to a point where they were like, Oh wow. Yeah. I love this project. Da, 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 da. Fully support you. And then we were like, yeah. So can we get a, a permit, like a designation that this is like art? And they're like, Ooh, can't do that because this is <laughs> technically not? outside of our jurisdiction. Blah, 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 blah. Like, uh, uh. <laughs> Cause it's like, it's, 
it's dealing with like the city of New York yeah. type stuff because uh-huh. it's on it's on the street and dealing with that kind of you know vehicle um, you know vehicle restrictions and and things of that nature. What we ended up doing is we did get a permit which was for one week, okay, and then that expired and then but we had just left it there and then we got another permit for another one week <laughs> so, and, what, and did then, you do, what did you do to the car is it just cement over it it's it's a secret recipe okay. but it's a it's a mixture of a variety of different kinds of dust okay like the notion was to have a car that not only looked dusty like it was abandoned but like a surreal level of dust, like yeah. ex- an extreme, like almost like when you have like a Hot Wheels car that you forget about and it's under the couch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you like find it like five years later and it's like enveloped by like a dust bunny or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mix, mix, <laughs> like, with all, mix with all the oil in the air that's floated down and it's like, yep, I know that. Yeah. Thing. Yep. Yeah. So it was trying to kind of think about that, but also with a, with reflection on like the history of, you know, the, the shifting history of the city of New York in regards to, you know, public space, particularly how that manifests with, with cars. Yeah. And that vehicle was actually Andrea's like high school car that had been like left out kind of in the yard. Yeah. In the yard. Yeah. yeah. And so what, Jersey. what ended up happening to the car? You left it there? No. After the sh- the show was extended a little bit, and then yeah, it's been moved to uh, a secret location, a secret storage space somewhere in the tri-state area. And was the permit that you got an actual permit for an art object, or you just got like a car permit? It was a hmm. Well, it was a mixture of both. Like we got it through the um, street activities permit organization. So it's a permit for a particular object to take up space okay. on the street. <laughs> so that's art. <laughs> but yeah, they they mostly deal with art. Okay. And that's good. like that's good. other kinds of performance kind of right. activities. Also deal with, you know, people making movies and and other and other things. Yeah. But, but yeah, shout out to everyone, you know, Department of Cultural Affairs, shout out to Street Act SAPO, everyone that like gave you know, positive feedback and support. I shout out to them, but yeah, it, it would have been nice to just get like a one month permit, but apparently it's a lot more complicated to do that than we thought. <laughs> and did the car move around from street to street or you only could park it in one spot? It could not move around. It could move around. We can move it. Sure. But the, the point was for it to be in, one in spot. this okay. zone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, the across the street from it were other cars that were parked that were all like luxury vehicles. And so this was like an expansion from uh, what I had seen before when the condo was under construction, where the only cars that were there were like, you know, the foreman's vehicles or whatever. But I guess the notion with those cars is that there's a garage inside of the condos, but I guess they're like, yeah, I don't have the time to like, go through all the rigmarole to like park there. So I'll just like park it on the street, even right. though I know I'm going to get a $200 ticket. But if you're like that rich, it's like, yeah, you know, for the convenience, a $200 ticket is nothing. So they're like, yeah. whatever. So I, we really wanted to like, I mean, I really wanted to kind of make the foil of that, you know, yeah. the foil of shiny Maserati with, with two parking tickets on it. The foil is this like the Monte Carlo SS, uh, completely caked in dust across the, <laughs> just parked directly across the street. Yeah. And so if you were to touch it, would the dust come off or it was stuck there? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> there's a bottom layer of like a more like solidified crust and then there's more dust on top. Oh, wow. So it's a mixture. So yeah. the answer is yes to both. Okay. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think. I don't really have that much else to ask you. Is there anything else that uh, I missed that you think that the people of the internet should know about you? Well, I'm a I'm an Aries Cancer Cancer. Um, so hopefully that explains all of my art. Um, 
I so your your birthday just happened. Yes, Mar- March. It did. March. Yes. Uh, March. What? Uh, April. April. Okay. April fifth. April fifth. Yep. Yeah, the most. It was a funny birthday. I uh, had a Zoom a Zoom meeting with most of my family spread all over the country. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um. Well, one thing I want in in last words is I want to let people know that I'm working on a new collaborative project uh, on Instagram called Shelter in Stees, S-H-E-L-T-E-R-I-N-S-T-E-E-Z. <laughs> Stees like style with ease. Yeah. And basically it's a, it's a, it's a space for, for looks of, of, of various forms for folks that are, you know, it's like no looks wasted lockdown looks like, you know, imagine outside like street fashion, but during the quarantine times. So, you know, you can have like a cool outfit or something that like makes you feel happy or exciting and you can just wear it around the house or you could also just wear like super chill things. So I'm kind of like trying to use it as a, as a space for people to explore that, I don't know, self-adornment, self-presentation within these very challenging and eerie and disruptive times. Yeah. So that's on the way. Um, when you, when you, when I talked to you about it, you said it hasn't been up yet. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, it, the, the page is up and you can submit things. But the first post has not yet been launched. Okay. So it could be yours. But um, that's happening. I also am poised to release a, a single called Cloud Emoji XX, which I'm doing this kind of bedroom pop. Been doing a lot of kind of chill wave bedroom pop, like kind of responding to the social distancing. And so that's on the way. Check. Check out my YouTube, Devin KK. Check out my Bandcamp, Devin Dash Kikini, K K E N N Y. SoundCloud, Devin Kikini. Um, so yeah, some things are on the way. Like I'm really excited to to be working on new music, and yeah, it's been fun for me for sure. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Or or cathartic. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Whatever's clever. Whatever we need to do to get through this, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you can follow me on Instagram. Crashing Wavy is my Instagram. Where'd you, where, where'd you get know. that? Where'd you get that handle? Um, it was my old hacker name. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Crashing Wavy. Well, it's like a wordplay. Like the slang wavy. It kind of came from. Most of it came from Max B. Like he was the dude for wavy. And um, Mickey Blanco has a really great song about being wavy. And so I was thinking about that while also crashing waves, like waves crashing against a beach or something like that. Um, So it's kind of like a mixture of those two things. Mm. And also maybe it's like a subtle, a subtle reference to like anti-pop consortium, this like experimental hip hop group. And they had a, a record called Shopping Carts Crashing. Yeah, I don't know. There's a few different things. But also, the, like, yeah, crashing into something. I'm, I'm a huge um, Dave Matthews Band fan. Really? You know, so I think of a way of, like, you know, crash wait, into me. Wait, are you you're, 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 jo- you're joking at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, I actually, I am joking, but th- I'm not going to lie, like, this musical ability of, of the of everyone in that band is pretty impressive. I think their like technical skill is really great. I don't dislike the music. I think I mostly dislike the fans. Yeah, I meant joking. I meant joking because I was just like at this point, I just couldn't imagine you wanting that as a reference. Yeah, no, no. But if someone says that's what it is, I would I would smile. I, w- I would chuckle and be like, "All right, nice. Shout out to you." <laughs> yeah, I did it. Do you think I've gone too far? I did it. Guilty as charged. Ah, <laughs> uh, um, all right. Yeah. So I think we've talked over everything. You did all your shout outs. 
Thanks so much for talking with me, Devin. Yeah, thanks for making this podcast. Uh, uh, thank you. Really yeah. great. I really enjoy listening to all the people that you bring on. I I think like a really yeah, it's really awesome. I feel really honored that you invited me. Like you said earlier, like you enjoy the process of like just talking to artists as someone as a visiting artist and learning about the processes of different people, and I, that's sort of how I view this as my way of doing it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, also, folks. Yeah, follow follow my socials, and I'm actually curating a show which will be online in collaboration with Calicoon Fine Arts in New York, and that'll be happening in June. Online, yeah, and also some other other stuff. It's a it's a group show, so I'm getting a bunch of really awesome folks involved. Okay, all right, sounds good, Devin. Oh yeah. All right, take care. Peace. Peace. Cloud emoji XX. Mm-hmm. Coming soon. Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Z1 Chung. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website, www.seeingcolorpod.com, or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, under the handle Seeing Color Pod. If you enjoy this show and have the time, I'd appreciate if you could go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and gives greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.